Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I am Brenna. And we are three gals that like to sit around, drink coffee, and, believe it or not, talk about true crime. You say true crime. I'm talking about that true crime. Oh, now, what if that crime wasn't true? Then it would be a... False? False crime. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. I, got, I don't know what's going. It's a shoe crime. Shoe crime. Ah, shoe crime. Shoe, get out of here for not being true crime. Oh. Yeah, shoe crime. But sometimes a shoe can solve a crime. Oh, shoe oh. crime. Oh. Shoe crime. Shoe crime. I wish I had a segue, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> then you could roll out of here and be <laughs> just. Oh, my <laughs> Leave this city behind. Goodbye forever. <laughs> Okay, we're clearly right. very caffeinated today. God, Thank you yes. so much, Beans, for uh, tuning in for on another Monday or on any other day because you can listen to this any day of the week. That's okay. true. Anytime, it is, anywhere. It is a podcast. Yeah. We just I love don't... that you're listening. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Beans. Thank you for Thanks, being Beans. Here. Thank you, Thank for, you for being a Bean. <laughs> listening to murder and, and drinking caffeine. Yeah! <laughs> there it is. How's that for a segue, Amanda? <laughs> it still doesn't work. Damn it. Um, Dang it. All right. Well, uh, this dope doesn't take place in Florida. Nope. Uh, is there a little nye involved? Nope. Uh, is the co- Does anyone drink coffee? I mean, yeah, probably. Okay, so, cool. Good night. Great, 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 great. So, okay, but, um, okay, so remember during, okay, if you haven't listened to the last episode, the Tylenol murders, I highly recommend you go back and do that first. Because uh, in that episode, I said, tap that lady, Laura Dan, for later. <gasps> is now Is it later? time? Is it that yeah, l- but I realized time? that I have to end this in a question because that's the <laughs> template. I fucked it up. <laughs> Going back. Going back. Because okay. I tried to make your shitty segue work. Listen. All right. All right. This is this is the best segue <laughs> this is ever. The best one. <laughs> I might keep All this right. whole thing in. Great. <laughs> Not even no bloop this. No, no bloopers. <laughs> this is real life. Yeah. This is real life. I live in a blooper. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Because we've been here before. Weird. Okay. All right. Well, we've been here before, and welcome back, my beautiful beans. Remember during the Tylenol murder episode when I said we would come back to a woman named Lori Dan? I do remember. Brenna, do you remember? No. Remember? Oh, no. Were you listening? What? <laughs> no, I well, didn't. We were here. We I were know here. it was you and not the cardboard cutout oh, I made of you. I know that you guys keep around just we in do. case. Just in yeah. case. Just in case. Uh, no, I remember she. You, you told us that she had some terrible, uh, terrible. terrible history. She yeah, had I guess some terrible story. stuff. Well, it's a, it's a... I just was like, oh, who's that? And I peeked over and went, well, 
We're going to talk about her. Oh, goodness. So, Lori Ann Wasserman was born on October 18, 1957, into an affluent family in Glencoe, Illinois. She attended New Trier High School in Winnetka, and uh, this is actually one of the nearby high schools from where I grew up. Like, I knew people that went to New Trier. And, like, to put it into perspective, um, New Trier and, like, Evanston High School were what the movie Mean Girls is based off of. Oh. So Winnetka is where the house from Home Alone is. Mm. I actually used to drive past it on the way to my aunt's house. And they're like, that's the house from Home Alone. Um, but did so, you see like cardboard cutouts flying I by? I did. Yeah, they were always <laughs> playing, um, what's that holiday? The Rockin' Around the Yeah, Rockin' Around the Rockin' Around the I was like, oh God, what song is it? Oh, I know, I'm like, I know of it. All right. Yeah, that was a good one. But um, so anyway, so, so way too much money, good amount of students growing up way too fast with crippling pressure to succeed. Um, she didn't get very good grades. It said that she was really more interested in boys than school. I mean, same. Right. Honestly. If I had a nickel. <laughs> right. She did. Uh, <laughs> that didn't make sense. Ignore me. <laughs> Guys, Brenna's here today. Yeah, studio. Brenna Poulter. Welcome to the show. <laughs> if I had a nickel. And so much coffee. <laughs> so much. She did well enough to get into Drake University in Iowa in 1975. Eventually, she was able to get her grades up and transferred to Arizona University, where her goal was to major in education. She ended up dating one guy pretty seriously, but it didn't end well. Mm. Um, She was becoming increasingly possessive, and uh, he ended the relationship. (sighs) She's too clingy. Long, long clingy. Then in 1977, she transferred to the University of Wisconsin to take classes in home economics. Finally, it was back home to live with her parents and attend Northwestern. Uh, which is in Evanston, Illinois. Unfortunately, Lori dropped out and never actually gained a degree. Oh, if I had a nickel. <laughs> For every degree, every degree you you've dropped. Yeah. I know. Math, man. A couple Don't of do math. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, no math. I know a couple of nickels. <laughs> a couple of them. A couple of nickels. Um, so she ended up needing a few odd jobs to get by. It was at her cocktail waitressing job that she met her future husband, Russell Dan. He was an insurance broker from an affluent family in Highland Park. They fell in love and got married in September of 1982. It didn't take long, though, before Russell started to notice little things his wife did that alarmed him. She would do the laundry and just shove sopping wet clothes into the drawers. Um, She kept her makeup in the microwave. She had been known to throw cash uh, into her backseat like trash. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah, but pretty soon it became pretty apparent that Lori was suffering from obsessive-compulsive disorder. Yeah. Mm. On top of the nonstop hand-washing, Lori would have to um, open the car door and tap her foot every time they came to a red light. Mm. She soon became reclusive, and the marriage started to suffer. Russell and Lori separated in October of 1985, and Lori moved back in with her parents. Mm. As the divorce proceedings commenced, Lori's behavior became more irrational. She suddenly started accusing her husband of being abusive. She would make constant harassing phone calls to Russell's family members. She accused Russell of breaking into her parents' house and vandalizing it. Mm. It was around this time that she legally purchased a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum. Uh The police were aware that she had obtained it and tried to get her family to take it away from her, but they were unsuccessful. In August of 86, Lori told an ex-boyfriend she was pregnant with his child, despite the fact that they hadn't seen each other in years. He was even married with children at the time. 
she would make harassing phone calls and even death threats to his family. Mm. When he called her bluff, she called up one of the doctors at the hospital he worked at and claimed he raped her in the emergency room. Oh, my God. It got to the point where the ex had his lawyer reach out to Lori's parents and tell them that they had to put a stop to her. Around the same time, Russell Dan was stabbed with an ice pick one night in his sleep by an unknown assailant. Mm. The pick missed his heart by an inch. Ooh. Cool. And even though Lori was identified by the store clerk as being the one who bought the ice pick, the charges were dropped because the prosecution couldn't prove she had gone to Russell's home that night. Mm. Well... Mm. Well, it was basically a he said, she said, and Russell did what he thought was the right thing to do at the time. So he took a polygraph. No. Oh. no. Yeah, as no, we no. all know, those no. things are joke science. They so are jokes. Russell ended up failing the test, and all charges against Lori were dropped. Oh, my Dang. God. That sucks. That super sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Those things are terrible. Terrible. Don't, don't do them. Don't do it. Even if you're innocent, Mm-mm. don't do it. Don't, don't do it because it, it judges not the truth. No. <laughs> it's about emotions. Yeah, and... I'm like, I'm nervous all the time. I'll yeah. fail everything. Yep. Jeez. Mm-hmm. So just a few months later in January of 1987, Lori decided to take up babysitting. She posted flyers around in public areas in Glencoe and eventually started watching kids around town. It's said to have started with one family, and then the mother liked her so much that she recommended her to other friends. Mm. But sadly, it wasn't long before parents started noticing Lori's odd behavior. They would come home to slashed leather sofas, cut-up rugs, and even their garage door openers missing. One couple tried to file a police report, but the charges were dropped since there was only circumstantial evidence to go on. It said that her dad would go back and pay for some of the damages. Oh, man. So it was, like, very widely open, openly known that it was her doing the things, like, so much so that her family would... They would just take cover up it. for her rather than help her. Yikes, man. In April of 87, Lori reverted back to old habits. Her divorce was about to be finalized, and as her last Hail Mary, she accused Russell of raping her. Knowing her history, this accusation is brushed off by the police, though. So once the divorce was complete, Lori was given $125,000 and moved back in with her parents. Uh, Her mental health was steadily declining. She became obsessed with hygiene and did not want to be touched. About a month later, she accused Russell of planting an incendiary device in her parents' home. Even with her given history, her parents defended her tooth and nail. She was seeing a psychologist um, at the time who said that she was not a threat to herself or others, so they couldn't really contain her or do anything about her actions. Mm. In the summer of 87, Lori's dad put her up in student housing at the Northwestern campus in Evanston. But unfortunately, her stay there would be short-lived. Her strange behavior was at its peak. She was wearing white gloves at all times and refused to touch metal. Other students started making complaints that she was stuffing the sofa cushions in the common areas with raw meat. They would also find garbage shoved into their mailboxes. Hmm. So back to her parents' house she went, and back to accusing Russell of raping her. The police were kind of over it at this point, and they just heard her out, but then they did nothing. Two weeks later, she bought another gun, legally. This time it was a twenty-two Beretta. Now, finally, in November of 87, Lori was able to see a psychiatrist who specialized in patients with OCD. They helped balance out her medications and even added behavioral therapy. Things must have been looking up because in January of 88, Lori was enrolled as a guest student at the University of Wisconsin. But once she was alone again, her illness started acting up. Her room was filled with piles of rotting trash. 
She was seen riding elevators up and down for hours and would sometimes roam the hallways naked. A few months later, Lori stole a book of poisons from the library. Then soon after, she was caught shoplifting and police brought her into the station. She was released on a $200 bond, but ended up attending a first offenders program to avoid jail time. While in the program, someone set Lori's dorm on fire. Everyone suspected her, but nothing could be proven. Oh, okay. I know this is... What? what? (laughs) Yeah. What? And no, this is going to sound like a broken record, but Lori started making threatening calls again, this time not only to Russell, but that long-lost ex-boyfriend again, too. Mm. Oh, and this time around, she also started calling families that she used to babysit for. But the ex-boyfriend had had enough. He contacted his local police in Tucson, uh, where they contacted the FBI, and then the FBI contacted Madison police, letting them know that she legally obtained a handgun and could be a danger to herself and others. When they tried to take the gun away from Lori, her dad defended her, saying she needed it for protection against Russell. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Oh, no, the lie got so big and bad. Why? Whatever happened, if I don't know, like, I don't know if there's a past trauma that that happened way in in the long, long ago, but, like, between the two of them, but, like... The lie got so important and became so big that they, like, had to double down on it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Well, and also, if, like, the parents are only hearing that side of the story, too, they right. probably absolutely believe her, right? I don't know. It's been, I, I mean, after I all think this time and after all the other Well, absolutely. Not. I also that means think they they're believe. covering up because they have a lot of money and they don't want people to think that they have the a daughter that has any problems Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was more dismiss- dismiss- dismissive than, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm, At the end of the semester, one of Lori's fellow students said he found his clothes cut up and books destroyed. Later the same night, Lori was found laying in a pile of trash in the fetal position. She was naked and sweating, covered only by a garbage bag. She said she didn't need medical attention, and they didn't find any guns in her possession, so they let her go. The following day, the FBI showed up to question her about the death threats she'd been making, but Lori had already gone home to Glencoe. It wasn't until four days later when Lori showed up at the Rush's home, where she used to babysit, to ask if they needed her services. They declined, saying they were actually going to be moving to New York soon. A disappointed Lori asked if it would be okay if she took their sons to the fair the following day. Oh, no. Unaware of the recent events, the parents agreed. No. That night, Lori stayed up making Rice Krispie treats and juice drinks laced with arsenic. And I hope you've all topped off your coffees, because... Here come the murders. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Lori takes her toxic treats and drops them at a few different fraternity houses and six other homes, some of acquaintances and some being families she used to babysit for. Jeez. The drinks were apparently leaking and they had a foul smell, so luckily few people drank them, and those who did were okay because the juice diluted the arsenic so much that they didn't really get that sick. Good. (laughs) After her deliveries, she went back to pick up the Rush Boys. She ended up putting them in the car and driving them to Ravinia Elementary, where she believed her ex-sister-in-law's children were enrolled. She used a plastic bag filled with gasoline and started a fire. She was quickly chased off by a daycare worker, and no one was hurt. She took the boys home, bringing them down to the basement where their mother was doing laundry. She quickly dropped them off and then set fire to the basement stairs (gasps) on her way out. Oh, my God. (laughs) The boys and their mom were able to escape through a basement window. Okay. Like, but, okay. Mm -hmm. 
By the time the fire department got to the Rush's home, Lori was long gone. Of course. She was on her way to Hubbard Woods Elementary, armed with two handguns. And I would like to add an extra trigger warning here. Um, If you need to, you may skip ahead a, a little bit. Lori enters the school and first shoots a little boy in the stomach who was in the washroom. She then went into a second grade classroom and started firing randomly. She killed eight-year-old Nicholas Corwin and critically wounded five others. She immediately ran outside through a courtyard and ended up at Ruth Andrews' front door. She told her that she was raped and had to shoot her attacker to escape. She basically held this family hostage for the next six hours. She would use their phone to call her mom, who just kept saying, like, Lori, turn yourself in. Turn yourself in. Mm -hmm. It was Ruth's brave 20-year-old son, Philip, who tried to reason with Lori. He eventually was able to convince her to let his family leave and he would stay. Once everyone was away and safe, Philip tried to wrestle the gun away from Lori. She shot him in the chest, Mm. and Philip ran outside, collapsing on the ground. Mm. Then Lori went into an upstairs bedroom put a gun in her mouth, and pulled the trigger. Philip Ruth did survive and went to spend 21 years with the FBI specializing in crisis and hostage situations. Holy moly, that's amazing. Got a job. And in the aftermath, families of the victims tried to put blame on Lori's parents, saying that they had multiple chances to get her better help and in a facility where she could have had care, but instead they chose to defend her actions and even pay to cover up what was really happening. And that, my friends, is the tragic story of Lori Dan. Final sips. Man, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, and I'll keep talking about it. Mental health yeah. is so important, and there's Can so many... Can you take many... a minute? Can oh, yep, yeah, there it is. Mental health is so important. <laughs> she yeah, read, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I did. She I read that from my, Amanda's My whole page. thing. That's that funny. was in Amanda's voice. No, you don't talk like that. Okay. <laughs> They just do the most the most wrong voice. Most you can wrong. Say. Is my is name is Amanda. Amanda. This is how I sound. At least give it a vocal fry. Da, uh, tune. <laughs> Quinn. That makes me think of Daria. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but no, mental all seriousness, mental health is so important and she had so many signs that yes. so much more was going on. Yeah. And no one helped, whether it was her parents or or people of authority. The police didn't do it. Like, so many people witnessed things happening and did not do anything. I don't know if it's because, like, maybe at the in that time there wasn't anything they really could do. And, and now we've made some changes. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, like, there's so many chances where she could have received proper care from other people even stepping in to be mm-hmm. like, hey, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Let's fix this. Or let's try to help more. And, like, she was seeing help. Like, yeah. she, she was seeing somebody. So, like, yeah. what were they doing? What? They were like, well, I mean, she's not a threat to others, so I can't do anything. It's like, well, I mean, you can but give her better help or understand, like, oh, maybe I'm not the one to give her the help. That's why it took so long before she yeah. finally saw someone who was a specialist. Mm-hmm. And even then, though, unfortunately, they weren't really able to help her. But I think mm. a lot of this had to do, is it okay if I just yeah, sip yeah, yeah. it? Okay, so my final sip, sip too, it. is that a lot of it had to do with her parents needed to be her biggest advocates and be that help for her and be like okay you know i'm gonna have to put my foot down and help you and instead they just covered it up and covered it up and mm-hmm. let it happen and covered it up and i i just putting this my own opinion is that they were worried about how they would look 
So she didn't. Because obviously, and they kept sending her away to college and sending her away to dorms. Like, you know that she mm -hmm. needs your help. You, She can't live on her own. You need to help her. That was something that I was thinking about. Setting her up for failure. Yeah. That she kept getting sent away. She, like, when you were talking about her history, she went to so many different places away from home. But none of them were places that would help her. No. Mm -hmm. It was just away. You know, Mm -hmm. she's out of their house, which is, you know, an assumption based off of their character. I don't know them. But all I can think about is how terrifying it must have been to be her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a heartbreaking story. Yeah, and I feel I like felt, sorry. Well, just like because they kept sending her to schools, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe if she learns things, then she'll be better. Maybe if she does this, she'll be better. Like that's not how it works. It's not how yeah. it works. Well, also if you you send somebody away to school, it sounds a lot better than sending them away to a facility. Which, yeah. but what's funny is she probably would have been better if she would have been sent to a exactly. facility. But like, like it but, doesn't sound good though. Right. Oh, so right. Awful. Like, I can't she'll have be that. fed here because they feed you there and they house you here, and mm-hmm. it's not here, so go away. And oh, learn something. So sad. Yeah, no, yeah. her story is really sad. And that's what, yeah, that's why I want to bring it up because normally I'd be like, oh, this isn't a, you know, because really this isn't like a murder story. This is a mental health story. But I yeah. felt like it was super important that people hear this because, God, this woman needed so much help, and we all need to be better advocates for each other and yeah. you know help each other out and or at least just be. Uh, an open book or like I don't know what I'm trying to say just be a wonderful open person that people can talk to yeah that's um, all everybody be a safe space yeah every single person and their um, makeup has some sort of something like whether it's a neurodivergency or um, an obsession or a disorder or a spectrum something everyone's on some sort of spectrum of something, you know, mm-hmm. like because of how we're raised, the things that are in our food and water, the things that our parents did and all that other stuff, genetics, everything. Like everyone's got something going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it doesn't take away that, you know, you have something going on. It just means that, you know, we have the opportunity to be more patient <laughs> and gentle mm-hmm. and exploratory about that stuff. We have more opportunities for that every day than we actually think we do yeah we're all more alike than we think we are mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we all are just humans being humans and we got a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff so, yeah. So, yeah life is weird and, I, and, <laughs> and it is it's it's unfortunate that like this was brought up during the tylenol case which means that there was also like other cases of mental health that weren't being checked as well mm-hmm. around the same time yeah. so it's i mean just... it was interesting to me though because i i was talking about this with uh, my aunt earlier because she actually um my uh uncle went to this elementary school that this happened at. Mm. His whole family went to that elementary school, so when they heard it on the news, they were like, hold on, I'm sorry, excuse me, what the fuck just happened here? Yeah. Um, uh, but, oh, so but we were talking about, like, it's interesting that they thought that she would be a part of the Tylenol murders. I guess it was just later on, because Tylenol murders were in 82. This happened in 88, and me, yeah, she was starting to show some signs of, like, OCD and her marriage was kind of failing in 82, but I don't think she was at that point yet. So I don't I don't really know why they brought her in as a suspect, but it might have later just on been... it was just like, oh, crazy lady poisoning thing. That's it's it, like, yeah. come on. Mm-hmm. That was probably you know, this isn't And her she doing. has, like, trigger, right? Like, the divorce happened that year, you know? So yeah. she has, like, unfortunately just the bad stars aligned with like what the profile might look like with mm-hmm. her some of her instances and her facts about her life yeah yeah man that must have been so scary to be her yes i think scary. about that sometimes with those cases where there's like the trash buildup or like not touching things or putting things inside of things like the meat and the furniture and stuff mm-hmm. i just think about that um folks that have to deal with those with that as part of their reality 
Mm-hmm. Like there's a thing in their reality that's that's telling them that this is the most rational thing to do in this moment. Mm-hmm. So it's very, um, it always is so com- uh, fascinating to hear about these things and and to like discuss it and mm-hmm. bring light like all the different things that this poor person went through and had going on. Yeah, when I was really young, when I was like a kindergarten, <clears throat> I had a teacher tell us about germs. And did not do it in a very well way and terrified me about germs. And to this day, I still have like a germ issue, but I've gotten better. But I used to wash my hands so much they'd bleed yeah. all the time. Aww. All the time. And, uh, and the same teacher also told me that, or the class, that if you ever drop anything down your, um, your like, vent, that your house will explode. What? Yeah. Or however she said it, that's what I'm we all sorry. took away. Yeah. So I dropped what? a penny once. So one, I'm already washing my hands so much that they bleed because of this lady. And then now I drop. I'm. A, I was. A, I think I've told this story before. I used to count coins as a kid, and I dropped a penny down, and I freaked out, and I like started grabbing things, thinking the house was gonna explode, and it was very real to me, and I was like crying to my mom. And I was in kindergarten. But Yeesh. like, yeah, it's important to uh, if you're a person of authority to just. Take that with care, especially when you're teaching children or teaching other people. Or Do you know what my first thought was? No. This woman's fucking house exploded when she was a kid, and she doesn't know why. Mm. Like, that's that's the mm-hmm. first thought that I had. I went, this woman had a house explode <laughs> her in house her exploded. life and, and doesn't, doesn't know why it happened. It was the penny <laughs> I dropped. Like, it was the you penny. know, her water mm. heater exploded or oh, something God. and just didn't know yeah. and just thought that it was because. That's, like, my first thought was, like, this poor woman literally told a bunch of kids this wrong information because she didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, maybe that was it. This information is dangerous. This information is very dangerous. Jeez. It is. Yeah, that is a great tie-up because it is all misinformation. I think that she was also misdiagnosed. Uh, I think that was misinformation too. Or mm-hmm. she had more than that going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like we we've all we've been saying this, but like even if you can observe things in, you know, whatever other students you're around or people you're around all the time, if you start to notice signs, there's always a safe person you can go to to be like, "Hey, I see this thing happening. I don't know what it is, but I need to tell somebody." Like yeah. we got to help each other out cuz maybe no one else is helping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. True. Yeah, this girl, I'm, it makes me wonder how many people were in school with her that also acknowledged her behavior, but then, like, were kind of at the mercy of, like, her parents are on the other side of the country right now. Like, how do we, like, yeah, we're in Arizona. Yeah, I think about that, too. Do? And she probably didn't have, like, a, didn't seem like she was really interacting with students, probably didn't have, like, a friend who would be like, I'm going to call your parents, yeah. Yeah. you know, and she's, she's just, just a weird girl. Just the weird girl out yeah. there. Ignore her. And that's so sad. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I would hope that now we would learn from this and do better when we Mm -hmm. see someone in that kind of duress that we would try to find the appropriate person to help them yeah 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 i mean you don't obviously you don't have to go up to them but like there is someone someone you can go to to yeah 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 man thanks amanda for for bringing another terribly sad but interesting yeah. story wow. to the breakfast. Let's night. all go cry together in the go. shower. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, well, okay. Bathe with friends. Bathe, bathe with, with friends. friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beans. Thank you so much for joining us on this wacky episode. Yes. Oh, it's been a fun one. It's been a roller coaster this episode. We've done a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, well, we will catch you next time with more mugs full of lovely coffee that we are all very caffeinated on right now. Uh, next Monday for Morning Murders. Yes. Yes. Fan. Fan.
Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram at Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. If you have any stories you'd like to hear or discuss around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank, Thank you for listening! It's wild. It's wild. So oh, sorry. It's oh, wild. It's okay. wild. I should have asked if you wanted anything else while I was out there. Don't! <laughs> Don't talk about my friends that way. That's me. Sorry, I don't mean that. Don't you even dare. Just wanted to talk into the void. You're good? Don't! 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 This is my important person voice. Giving a breeze. so nice. He's a sweet angel. He's a sweet all right, well, with that, Brenna, 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 and the Jits, Brenna and the Butts, Brenna and the Butts, 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 Hey, Butts, Butts, I'm grateful grabbing, I love grabbing Butts, I'm grabbing, dabbing, dabbing. This is gone. That was. That's it. That's like the Nicolas. 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 And the day goes by. Nicolas. 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 Okay. Um. What you got? Yeah. Amanda. You gotta get up on the mic like Jack Black. This is a visual, sorry, it's a podcast, but alright. Nailed it. Yes. This is the best ever. Yeah. Beautiful. Gold. Beans, beans, beans. Beans, beans. We've got the means for beans. We've got the means for beans. Got the means for beans. All right, ready? Yes. <laughs> Winnetka's where, uh, Winnetka specifically is the house where the Home Alone house is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, let me re-say that sentence, though, because that was not English. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was. I, I gathered. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> um, Arizona University. Versity. Hope you've all topped off your copies. Be- copies? Copies. Copies of our copies. <laughs>